Hi there. Welcome to the Branch Life Podcast. We're so happy that you tuned in. Please join us today as we continue our series through the book of Matthew. Hey, welcome to Branch Life Church's Seven Days That Changed the World series. This is a series I'm very excited about because it's all about the seven days from Jesus entering Jerusalem to when he died and rose again. These seven days have transformed the world as we know it. And if you join us on this journey, it can transform you too. So we are glad that you're here. We hope that you'll stay to the end. We've got some great information to share with you. And our prayer is that this series will be an encouragement to you. Don't forget to fill out that online connection card before you leave. And again, we're glad you're here. If you haven't got it yet, like from the guy in the parking lot greeting you coming in and stopping every car and just making sure you know that we are glad you're here today, right? or it's the 15 people walking all the way up here, or it's the two guys that were just up here saying, welcome, 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 whether you're here or online, man, welcome. We are so glad you're here today. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life Church, and I get the privilege to talk to you about Matthew 26 today. Matthew 26, we've been going through here at Branch Life Church the book of Matthew. And we're in a series called The Seven Days That Changed the World. That's not it. All right. The Seven Days That Changed the World. All right. And in these seven days that we're focusing on now, we're following Jesus through the last seven days of his life that ends up at his resurrection, which is Easter. Right. And today we're going to be looking at, at day four. But before we get started, I got a question for you. I got a, uh, a situation for you, a choice for you. You might be wondering, why is this bag up here? All right, a couple people are like, what's in it, what's in it? So this bag right here represents a year's salary. All right, now let's figure this out. This isn't my year's salary, all right? Let's get that clear right now. We're thinking about your year's salary right here, all right? Whatever that is, you get that number in your head, and you think about what it took to get that year's salary, the sacrifice, the things you've missed, the time you've put in. This is what it represents right here. Get that in your head. Here's your choice. You can give this up and have everything that Jesus is. Right? This is a choice. Would you give up one year's salary, one year time, one year of sacrifice? See, my, my, my salary is pretty light, I'm just saying. Right. And get Jesus. What is his worth? Or here's option number two. Here's option number two. I'll give you one month's salary. I'll hand it to you. You don't have to earn it or anything. And you don't have to deal with Jesus at all. He's out of your life for one month salary. You think about what you could do with that month. You probably wouldn't have to be here. You could sleep in right now. 
right? You could be eating breakfast at the Ice House Diner in Pottstown. Are you talking about, right? The nights that you stay up in prayer, the, the early mornings you get up to spend time with God, the sacrifices you make to serve Him in whatever area it is, you don't have to worry about it. You could get good at golf, or at least try, or get bad at golf, you know what I'm saying? You could throw, go, take up a new hobby. You could earn that next pay raise. You can get that promotion. You could put it in, right? And I'll give you a month of salary to do that, but you have to leave Jesus. Man, is that not gut-wrenching? When you said, I said, a salary, like a one-year worth of my money, and either I have to give that up or lose Jesus, I got to admit, man, my, my stomach tightened up a little bit. That got real, right? So today we're going to be focused on what is the worth of Jesus. And then day four, we're going to be looking at uh, three, uh, three things. We're going to see beauty. We're going to see betrayal. And we're going to see brokenness. So before I start, I'm going to, since we're all about 28 days of prayer, I'm going to pray one more time. All right, bow with me. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to come and proclaim the good news of your worth. Lord, I ask that you meet with us right now. That you come and search our hearts to see what we're holding back. See what our real worth, see what the worth you are to us. Give us this time and just work through everything. I ask that, that you be used in this time. I need that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at this. Dude's trying to set me up already. All right? So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 26, 1 through 6. I mean, 1 through 16. If you don't have this, this is a gift we're giving out. It's a free Matthew journal. And we're going to be reading the first two verses here, but we're going to go through verse 16 eventually. And it says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to the disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. When he's finished all these sayings, this is Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And he just gives this teaching on about how when you feed the the hungry, you feed me. When you clothe the naked, you clothe me. He's talking about the final judgment to come and how they will rule and reign. He's talking about using your talents to, be, to glorify the kingdom. And I just was in a conversation the other day with a really, really close friend, if it's not family. I, we, I love this dude. And we have different views on the worth of Jesus. When I said, what is the worth of Jesus to you? What is the worth of, of the Bible to you? He said, he's a good teacher. He said he said some really good stuff. And there's value in the things that he said. But ultimately, that's it. That was his worth of Jesus. Jesus isn't the first great teacher to ever walk this earth. He's not the first guy that did good things for humanity. Right? He's not the first person that healed something. Right? As far as history is concerned, at this point in the story, Jesus is just another good teacher. He's probably the greatest teacher. In this point of the story, he's just another great teacher with some fancy tricks up his sleeves. Right? Like, whatever YouTube video that shows the instructions how to stop the wind and the rain, yo, I'm subscribing. Right? If you can teach me how to heal the blind man and give him sight, I'm in. Right? So he's like, so he's a good teacher with fancy tricks. And here in the next verse, he starts saying, he's like, you know. 
At this point, Jesus' life has been pointing to one thing. It's been working towards one thing, and right here he points to where his worth is. And he points to the cross. He says that you know in two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man must be delivered up and crucified. Isn't that interesting that he was like, you know, like, what's up? You guys know this. Like, you know taxes are coming, right? Everyone knows that? He says, you know, because he's told them three times already, and he's made it very clear that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and must die. But then he adds the other three times he says it in Matthew, must rise again. Right there is where he points to my worth. Right there is worth. Right there is where he points to the fact that he's not just a good teacher. He's not just a guy with fancy tricks. He's the son of God. And when you look at the cross and realize that Jesus is going to, he lived a life to die a death only he could die, to pay a penalty that only he could pay to fix the relationship between us, and then he comes back three days later and conquers death, showing that he has the power over everything, that's the worth of Jesus. We don't, I mean, we serve a risen Savior, not a past teacher. The words that he says, the life that he lived, the death that he died, and the life that he rose again holds a whole new meaning when you realize that he's God. And, and today we're going to look at three different responses that people have to that. Three different reactions. Some people hate it. There's a group of people that hate the worth of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm getting new at this, right? Some people see the beauty in it. And some people betray it. The first group of people that we're going to look at is found in verse 3 through 5. So we're in Matthew 26, verse 3 through 5. And it says, Then the chief priests and the elders and the people gathered in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. You want to see brokenness? You want to know a good sign of brokenness? Like if you're looking at a business or something like that, or whether you're doing a good job at work, if you're trying to kill the boss's son, that's a good sign something's broken. All right? So the high priests and these people, literally, they answered to God. They were supposed to bring a broken people before a merciful God and encourage people to glorify God. Their whole boss was God. And here they're trying to kill him. What in the world would cause that brokenness? What in the world was it be that they miss the one thing that could actually fix the relationship that they are supposed to be working and fixing on? It's because they found the things they valued as more worth than God. And these high priests at the time, why it got so broken is because of corruption. This dude Caiaphas in here that we see, right? He's the high priest at the time. The only time the Bible records him, either he's plotting to kill Jesus or trying to kill Jesus. You want to stay away from the dude that's plotting to kill Jesus and trying to kill Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple and started casting over the tables and started whipping people and stuff like that? He's like, you made, made my house a den of thieves? These are the guys right here that own the tables. So now Jesus is representing a threat to their money, what they find valuable. 
Jesus just came in on a donkey and had tons and tons of people worshiping him, saying, yeah, you're awesome, you're awesome, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And you know what? That struck a chord with these guys because the high priest was the highest authority in the land at the time besides Rome. It was a, it's a position of power. And here they realize that the people are now worshiping him more than them. And they get mad. Then, you see the true brokenness. Jesus goes in and says the seven woes. Woe to you, you, you snake in the grass. Woe to you, you hypocrite. You're blind. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're on the outside, you look all right, but inside you're just garbage. He lights them up. And then the people are probably like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That guy just took all my money. And, and we're at this point that they don't just like, don't dislike him, right? It's not like, that, that guy's just weird. I don't, like, you know. Not that, ah, uh, I wish I didn't have to deal with him. They went to the point as where they wanted to kill him. So they're in the palace of the high priest trying to plot to kill the son of God. They're worth, he's better dead than alive. Actually, I'll take this month and I'll give it to you and you get rid of Jesus for me. I don't want anything for it. I just, here, I'll pay you to do it. Man, in the words of Josh Park, this is my best Josh Park impression. Don't ever fall in a camp that wants to kill Jesus. Just don't do it. It's a bad idea. I mean, although so simple, so simple, so profound, right? Don't ever do that. And I thought this week, who are the people in this world that if Jesus walked this earth right now would kill Jesus? You come up with some people like, yeah, ISIS. Yep, gotcha. But think about that. Mull that over. If Jesus walked this earth right now, who are the people that would kill him? It's probably the people where if their authority was all their identity and worth, and he came in and turned it upside down, they probably would want to not have him around. If they found the identity in money and things and possessions, and Jesus came in, and since he was there, no longer you have money or possessions, they probably want to kill him. Maybe it's their pride and reputation. I've lived this way my whole life. I've served this thing my whole life, and now you're turning this upside down. Not enough. My traditions are more important. I'm going to kill him. Don't ever fall into the camp that wants to kill Jesus. The next group of people we see is found in Matthew 6 through 13. And this is where we see the beauty. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leopard, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this it could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world... What she has done will also be told in memory of her. Just in the last part, you want to know when something's broken when you're trying to kill the boss's son? You want to know when something's beautiful? It's when Jesus says it's beautiful. 
right? He's at this point, and we see this act of this woman dumping out an expensive perfume all over Jesus, and he goes, this is beautiful. Actually, it's so beautiful, I want to write this down. Every time we talk about the greatest event in history of mankind, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I want this to be told with it, right? We got these Matthew journals here, free gift to you and everything. I don't know, we've given out like 500. 500 times that got the gospel of Jesus Christ has went out, this lady's act of beauty has been told. Think about this. 2,000 years later, some dude is standing on the stage in Pew Town, on Two Pound Road in Spring City at Branch Life Church talking about this lady's act in association with the greatest news in history. Man, that's pretty cool. His words are coming true right now, 2,000 years later. And then it goes to, leads me to this next question. What, what did I miss? Like, I, when I read through this, I was like, I, I didn't see it as that beautiful. Like, I've, I've been with my wife for a while now, and I'm starting to understand what her taste is in things, like design and furniture. If it's old and out of style, it drives her wild. All right? That's her taste. And Jesus walked and talked with the disciples all this time. And you would think that when Jesus recognized something as beauty, that, that they would do it too. But they missed it. In this moment, they missed it. It wasn't a bad thought they had. Jesus only talked about five billion times about going and helping the poor. He just was on the Mount of Olives with their like saying, you feed the hungry, you feed me. You clothe the naked, you clothe me. So in my head, I'm like, oh, this is... I, I get it, right? He's not about material things, and yet you poured like the Calvin Klein Platinum series all over him. Huh? I could have sold that, man. I could have fed a lot of people with that. What did I miss? If you have your Bibles, this is probably the only turn we'll do today, but we're going to go to John chapter 12 where we see another account of this. And John fills us in with a couple more details of what's going on. John chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, right there we realize this is actually a flashback. This isn't on day four, I lied to you. Nothing counts anymore, right? No. So this is leading up, but yet God puts it into the same story as his death, burial, and resurrection. Like leading to that. He's pointing, he's showing this beauty to contrast the brokenness, to contrast the betrayal. betrayal. So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus, one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed his feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. The house was filled with a fragrance of perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, who was about to betray Jesus, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? That's a year's salary. And given to the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor, but you do not always have me. So we're seeing this radical act of beauty betrayed right there. We find out that the woman's name was Mary. 
We know Mary from stories in the past, right? And we understand what was around her neck was so valuable, it was worth a year's worth salary. We don't know if they had money or not, but it could have been a family heirloom, and it was around her neck. And from the disciples' perspective, like, that's great value. It could be done a lot with. But we need to look at it from Mary's perspective. Come, just think about this for a second. She's at a dinner of Simon the Leopard's house, who was her friend. You don't get to name Simon the Leopard if you don't have leprosy or didn't have leprosy. Right? You don't get a nickname because it doesn't fit you. At sound point, Simon the Leopard had leprosy, which is the nastiest disease always. It's just your skin is falling off and peeling apart. And it's super highly contagious. And when that happens, you have to be quarantined. It's 2022. Everyone knows what the word quarantined means, right? It means separated, put somewhere. They would send them in a leprosy column, and it would probably mean that you were going to die out there, apart from your family, apart from your friends. And Mary's sitting there, and there's her friend Lazarus that Jesus healed. You know how we knew he healed him? Because you don't eat lep- uh, dinner with a person that has leprosy. So she's sitting there looking at a friend that she thought she was lost, looking at a friend that was going through so much trouble, and God had, Jesus had just brought her back to sit at her table. She sees the disciples there. She's walked and talked with her friends and disciples. She's seen, the, heard the teachings of Jesus. She's heard what he's going to do. He's seen the miracle acts. And she just goes, wow, that's just, I love it. And then she looks over and sees Lazarus. Man, how cool is this? A couple days ago, Lazarus was dead. Her brother, the one that she loved, was sitting across from the table after being dead. She was in mourning. She was thinking, I just wish I could have one more meal with him. I just wish I could talk to him one more time. And she looks across, and there he is. How amazing is that? And then she looks over at Jesus reclining there. And she, she comes to mind what he's about to go do. You know, the disciples were a little slower up on the uptake. They got it. Right? But in that moment, it came together and it clicked. That he was about to do an act for her, which is the greatest act of love in human history. He was about to go die a death to pay the penalty of her sins so she can be made right with God. The ultimate Passover lamb, the spotless, blemished lamb on that Passover was going to go be slain for her. And in that moment, in that moment, she just came to a complete, raw recognition and appreciation of who Jesus was. In that moment, she saw the worth of Jesus Christ. And as she looked around her table, it was, he was worth everything. It was worth every financial thing she had. She had no rational thought about money or budgeting at that moment, all right? She just took this one pound, year's worth salary perfume, and this stuff you normally, a little dabble, do you? No. She broke it and just poured it on him. If she had more, she would have gave him more. And then, you know, her pride, her, her, her perception, like when people look at you, I don't want them to think I'm weird, Right? She gets down on her hands and feet, and with her tears, washes his feet with her hair. A woman's pride. 
man, she got it. And the difference is, is she kept the first things first. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's what it looks like. Now the disciples, they did good. The second's just like it. Love the neighbor as yourself. But that's number two, and this is number one. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Like all of it. All you have, he is worthy of. So if you ask, obviously, if you ask Mary at that time, was Jesus worth a year's salary? She's like, yeah, so much more. I wish I had more to give. And then you come to the point where you think, when's the last time I've looked around my table? When's the last time I recognize that every good thing I have is because of Christ? When's the last time, just like Mary did, recognize that even the trials and the hardships and the loss that I have in my life, ultimately through the power of Christ, he's working to our good. Think about that. When's the last time you sat and thought that? When's the last time you thought down and sat down and took stock on what Jesus did for you? I know, I'm a filthy sinner, man. There's nothing that I deserve to have God's grace for. Nothing. There's not one thing. And yet God was willing to send the one thing that pleased him, truly pleased him, his son, to die on the cross for my sins. And then he proved it by raising again on the third day so that there's no situation in my life that is ever too hopeless. Famous quote from Kim Roop right here. Since my kids have Jesus, there will never be a hopeless moment. That's the word. When's the last time you took stock in that? When's the last time you actually sat at your kitchen table? My table even was a gift from Jeff, right? The actual thing I sit and eat my food with is a gift. And around my table sits my wife and my two beautiful kids, my two crazy but beautiful kids. They're probably barefooted running around this church somewhere right now. And when do I recognize, like, so before I met my wife, I was in a relationship that the world would say that that is everything you want and will make you happy, except we weren't living for Christ. So I gave it up, and I did like that, you know, whatever you have, Lord, it's, my, it's yours. I'm just going to follow you. I'm not going to worry about finding another love or anything like that. You know what's happened like a week and a half later? Guess who shows up? My wife. But the thing is, my wife didn't know the worth of Christ yet. So it was like me falling right back. I mean, she's the, like, she's, I, I could go on, but I'm not going to get. It was amazing, right? And then I did, I tell you what, if you're trying to find a wife or a husband, don't do what I did. Everything I did was the wrong way to find a wife and a husband, or a husband in the eyes of my wife. Don't do it. Yet God brought us back together, and I was trying not to because I knew she wasn't safe. So we went on a walk or something like that, and I remember her walking with me, and I remember her looking over to me, and she said, whatever you and your friends have, I want it. You know what that was? It was Christ. She saw the difference in our lives, that we weren't chasing the things the world was chasing. We weren't pursuing the things the world was pursuing, and she recognized that we had something of great worth, and the only thing that was in common, because we're not great dudes, is Christ, and she wanted it. Fast forward, we're married. We're about to have our kid, right? And she comes down with something called preeclampsia. So like six weeks before Nolan's supposed to be born or something like that. I don't remember the details. And I don't even like talking about Nolan. But she comes down with preeclampsia. And in her words, not mine, she was all swollen. 
All right? Just remember, she told me, she, it was her words, all right? And in preeclampsia, she, she gets really high blood pressure, and her body starts shutting down and taking care of the baby, right? And I remember being in the hospital, and a doctor came in, and she said, hey, come out here in the hallway for a second. Whatever you do, just keep that blood pressure down. I'm like, okay. Like, I'm pretty chill, dude, right? No, she's like, yeah, just what? I know you got people coming in and stuff like that. Just keep that blood pressure. Didn't tell me. I looked up. There was a really good chance she was about to have a stroke. I remember looking at that screen, just praying, God, don't do it. Because if she did, I probably wouldn't have a wife and I wouldn't have kids. And in that moment, I found peace with God. It wasn't in the fact of her body taking care of herself. It's knowing that God, we were in God's hands. That's worth it. A couple hours later, we have our kids. I have our kid, Nolan, right? And he's early. So he has deformed, not deformed, not formed lungs. And he's in there, and he, when he's breathing, his lungs are collapsing. He's breathing, his lungs are collapsing. My wife's on operating table. My son's suffering. I go in there, there's tubes, there's needles. He's screaming. It's awful. You know that saying, like, I'd rip your heart out of your chest if you could? That was it. And I was sitting there crying out to God, guys, I've never heard an audible voice from God. But in that moment, I've never felt a more real presence of his love. In that moment, it is as if he took his arms, put it around me. He says, this is how much I love you. Not that your son's suffering. Not that there's pain. He's like, I hate that brokenness. I hate that there's sin. I hate that there's brokenness in this world. But tell you what, I'm willing to send my son to suffer a death way farther than anything that no one's going through right now for you. Because I love you and I want you. And I'm willing to do anything to get you. You want to feel loved? Holy smokes, dude. Blow my socks off, right? No, this isn't awkward. Fast forward two years later. We're about to have our baby girl, Grace. Right? Ten days before that, my wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer. Ugh. Ugh. You got this beautiful picture of a child coming to the world and then this dread of this awful disease, cancer. Right? And I remember after we had Grace, she's sitting there, and the chemotherapies and the treatments had to start right after. And so she's holding no one, I mean, Grace. And she just wants to feed her the way the mother wants to feed her, and she can't do it because the next day they're going to dump poison in her. I remember the, the doctor sitting there talking to her, and she's like, you know what's about to happen, right? Yeah. Tomorrow you start treatment. She's like, yeah. And, like, her face was just, I'm inside breaking up, and she's just, like, sitting there chill. Yeah, right? And you got this and this, this. There's going to be days you can't hold your child because of the poison we're going to dump in you. Yeah. And so I remember seeing the doctor go turn to walk away, and she stopped, and she turns back. She said, I got to ask, you are handling this better than anyone I've ever seen handle this. What's different? Man. And, and she just looks up and says, Christ. Now, I said it with tears, but she said it with confidence. What worth is that when you're facing just an awful situation to know the worth of Jesus Christ? When's the last time you've looked around your table? When's the last time you've realized what God has given you? When's the last time you've realized that he crushed, in, in, in Isaiah, so he, was, he crushed the one thing that pleased him to get you back, which was Jesus Christ? 
Man, you want to know love. You want to know value. It's only worth what you're willing to pay. And Jesus paid it all. Man, that's awesome. That's worth. He paid a debt that we couldn't pay. So what is it around your table? What do you look around and recognize? When's the last time you've looked around your table and realized the love that Jesus had for you? When's the last time that you faced a situation, whether it's your first cancer diagnosis or your sixth cancer diagnosis, that through Christ you are more than conquerors? Listen to this in Romans. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor fit rulers, nor priests, uh, nor present things, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing. In all things, when you have Christ, you're cockers. Dude, worth. Worth. And when's the last time you came to the recognition that he's worth everything? In Philippians 3.8, Paul says, I count it all as loss for knowing the worth of Jesus Christ. Have we ever come to that point? Have we ever come to the point that there's not one area in my life that I wouldn't give Jesus? There's not one area in my life that I wouldn't just willingly give up because his worth is worth more than anything I have. When's the last time? And we need to be reminded of this stuff, man. I've had friends in the slaves of addiction come to know Jesus and break that addiction. I've had friends trying to commit suicide that found Christ and now live for a purpose. I've seen marriages healed. I've seen lost children come back. I've seen cancer cured. I've seen comfort in death. I've seen comfort in loss. Knowing that ultimately our hope is in Jesus Christ and not anything here. That's worth. And we need to remind ourselves of it because too often we trade it in. Every day we are tempted to trade it in. This is the next one. Some trade it. Some trade it. Gotta find my spot. The one of the twelve, this is verse 14. The one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. This is terrifying. Judas walked and talked with Jesus for years, and he still missed the value of him. That's like sitting in church for 40 years and still missing the worth of Jesus Christ. He saw it all firsthand. He embraced it, and still he missed it. Man, and know what he traded it in for? He says 30 pieces of silver. One month. That was the price of a slave at the time. That was the price of just repaying some. It's one piece, I mean 30 pieces of silver. One month's salary. Just because, I mean, anyway, we, we heard that he's a thief from the beginning. He was always stealing Jesus' money in the mo- uh, coin purse. And when he came to the realization that Jesus was about to go to the cross and die, or he was like, this guy has finally just lost it, and he's going to kill himself somehow. 
And then he sees someone throw out a year's worth of salary. He says, that's it. My worth with him is done. I need to get what I can get. And he went into the pawn shop and traded in the most expensive thing for nothing. And too often we do the same thing. Too often we'll do it on momentary things, a momentary passion or lust or something. A momentary job, a role, a hobby. We do it on our kids' education where we think there's more value in our kids' education instead of knowing Jesus Christ. That's where the worth is. That is where the value is. What have have you traded Jesus in for? What have you held back? I know for me, family and kids, man. If you tell me like your kids are going to grow up and be a missionary and go spread to Jesus, that's where gut checks me. In this world, there will be trouble, right? I don't want my kids to go through trouble. But to be honest with you, like I said, there is never a hopeless situation when you have Christ. No mountain too tall, no valley too big. When's the last time we've recognized that? So maybe today, you've come to this point, and we're going to say, what will you give Jesus? Maybe today it's everything. Maybe today it's the first time that you heard your worth and value in Jesus Christ. Maybe today you come to the recognition that you are a sinner and that you need a perfect Savior. And maybe this is the first time you've heard the good news of the gospel that even though you don't, so we love because Christ first loved us. There was nothing special about any of us. It wasn't like he looked down the future of time and said, I could, I could do that with him. All right, he's worth saving. No, there's nothing. Filthy rags is the best we can do. And yet God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. You're worth a ton. And maybe this time is the first time you heard it. And I tell you what, he does this beautiful thing. He takes that, out, that sacrifice and he wraps it up. He puts a bow on it and he offers it to you, this thing called grace. Something that we don't deserve. And you know how you get that present? You believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess you with your mouth that he, he raised him up. Believe in your heart. Wait, you know what I'm saying. Put your trust in Jesus. Believe in your heart that he is Lord and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. That's it. And if you did that right now in your heart, you just received something of the most worth and value in the history of eternity. There is nothing more and you just received it for how much? Nothing. It cost everything. You got it for nothing. Maybe it's this time where you're like, you know what, I've received that and I've done this, right? But I haven't given them anything. There's an act called baptism. And you know what the number one fear in the world is? Doing what I'm doing right now. Public speaking. It's getting in front of the people and just going up there. And I know there's people in this room and in this world that are hesitant to go in front of people and show and profess that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Look at Mary. She had no concern for that. When she comes to the recognition of who Christ is, she lays it all out. She gets down. There's no worry about self. It's selflessness. Maybe it's time that you get baptized and you start living your life for Christ. Maybe it's time you're called into full-time, intentional going after Christ. I don't know. Maybe you've already done it. Awesome. Keep going. 
You are spreading the most worth and value in the entire world. You have it to give. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep pursuing. Don't stop even if you're getting old. Keep going. Don't stop if you have a hard time speaking in front of people. Keep going. If you have fear of having conversations, just keep going. It's worth it. Maybe someone's called to give a year's worth of salary. I don't know. Someone in this world is called to give a year's worth of salary to Jesus Christ. And I'm not up here begging for your money. I'm just saying if that's where it hits you and God's telling you to give a year's salary, you better give a year's salary. If he's calling me to do something, I better go do it. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But if he's doing, I'm telling you it's worth it. Maybe it's a year of your time. Maybe it's a year of your time where you just intentionally pursue God with everything you have. Maybe it's getting called on the mission field. Maybe it's getting called to reach your kids in your neighborhood. Whatever it is, pursue it. It's worth it. If not a year, how about six months? If not six months, how about 28 days of prayer and fasting? Take the next 21 days that we have left and just say that these next days I will pursue God at least for a little time in prayer and fast. Don't do fasting every day. You won't make it. right? <laughs> but to just give them that time in your life to pursue God. And no matter what happens, I will promise you it's worth it. Do it. Do it. Guys, I've seen it in everyone in this room. There's probably no situation that hasn't ever come up that at least somebody in this room hasn't seen the power of God work in. Whatever you're facing when you have Christ, it's worth it. Whatever you give up, it's worth it. Because he loves you, he cares for you. Did I say it's worth it? Amen. Hey, thanks for sticking all the way through the end. We hope that those lessons that we talked about will be encouragement to you. We want to invite you back next time as we go to the next day that changed the world. And if you're interested in digging deeper or connecting more, we've got a special gift for you while supplies last. If you fill out your connection card and let us know that you'd like these Matthew journals, we will gladly send one to you. Don't forget to fill that out online before you log off. We'll see you next time.